Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? All fired up great? There's a great out there. That's awesome. Not just good, great. That's great. Man, it's been a great, incredible weekend. It's been one of those weekends that you're a little bit exhausted from, but man, so much has happened on Thursday night. We kicked off the weekend early uh, with CR. Had a great night. I'm telling you, some awesome things are happening there. If you're struggling or you have hurts, habits, or hang-ups that you would like to have addressed, and God uh, give you some people around you, it's a great place to be. Uh, that was Thursday night. Friday night, uh, if you were here, it was unbelievable. I don't know if we ever had that many people on campus before. Over a 1,000, I'm confident. We had our first ever trunk or treat, and uh, it was pretty amazing and uh, just very gratifying little kids. And uh, Lori and I have been out of the Halloween scene for a while uh, with our kids being older, and I, I had to try to guess who these characters were. Uh, but it was, it was amazing, and the place was just packed out and uh, just so much fun. And yesterday, a few of us got a chance uh, to bless one of our good friends with a new roof on his house. So uh, we got a chance to do that, which is kind of something I love to do. And so we were engaged in that. And then last night, uh, and through the night, all night, I guess, uh, they had a lock-in. I saw a video at 5 o'clock this morning. They were line dancing here. So uh, I think that's what that was. Wow, it was, it's amazing. What a, and then today we get a chance to come together and worship and begin this new series uh, they were calling Release. So I'm excited about all that God is doing and the power and the impact that we can have in our community. And so I'm so glad you're with us today. So we're going to begin today talking about release, which is a theme you're going to hear uh, for the next several weeks. And I hope that you start thinking about how this connects with you uh, in your own life. Uh, We're we're doing a movement as our church, but we're also hoping that God does a movement in your life to release you from the things that maybe have been holding you back. So let me tell you, today we're going to be talking about doubt. You know, in the 1990s, uh, the late 1990s, early 2000s, there was a popular book among Christian teens. It was written by a young man, just barely, maybe even a teen or very close himself. His name was Josh Harris. And it was entitled, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Now, I heard about this book because my son, it it was pretty impactful on him, and uh, it was pretty popular with teenagers. In fact, it sold a million copies. And Harris proposed in the book that instead of couples dating, especially in high school, getting all connected to each other and, you know, hot and heavy, that instead they choose to date as couples, that Christians develop friendship first and then go through a process of courtship all the while remaining abstinent. Now, it was a great plan and a great book and biblical and Harris's impacted many young people, including my son deeply on that. Harris grew up, obviously. He went on to serve as a senior minister of Sovereign Grace Church, uh, a mega church. And then in 2019, Harris announced that he and his wife were divorcing. He resigned from his church and then stated shortly after that he was no longer considering himself to be a Christian. I mean, the world was a little bit stunned from what was going on in Harris's life. Earlier this year, he offered a course to help other people like him deconstruct their faith. He offered that course for $275 online. After a lot of criticism from all sorts of people, he deleted that course. But he and some other people uh, very similar to him have made the concept of deconstructing your faith very profitable or popular and somewhat profitable, it seems. Now, I don't know the reasons why Harris 
crashed and burned. I don't know about anything. Maybe he had obviously an unhappy marriage. Maybe he discovered that in spite of his plan of not dating and courtship, that it wasn't the best matchup. Maybe that was it. Maybe it was problems in his church. Obviously, there were some. Perhaps it was just personal struggles in his life. But I suspect that the real culprit in Harris's life is doubt. I suspect that he really is full of some doubts about who God is. And you know what? All of us struggle with doubt to some level. Defined, doubt is a mental state in which the mind remains suspended between two or more contradictory propositions, unable to be certain of any of them. And all of us have probably experienced doubt. And doubt is frustrating, whether it's a job choice, whether it's a financial investment, whether it's a relationship, whatever it may be, doubt is frustrating, but no matter where we experience it, but it's most dangerous when it comes to our faith. You see, doubt is the gap between our current faith, where we are right now, what we truly believe and act on. It's the gap between that and perfect faith in the God of the impossible, the God that can do anything and everything. Some people struggle deeply with doubt, and they let it control and dictate their lives, like Josh Harris, who crashed and burned. I can't even imagine where he is right now in his mind and his thinking about God. Other people live with doubt and cynicism and negativity, and they're basically crippled by it. There are still other people, many of us, who experience doubt, but we're honest about it. We deal with it and overcome it through the power of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of things that we can doubt when it comes to faith. Some people doubt their salvation, and they begin to worry about that. Other people um, doubt God's love for them or God's power. We may doubt the reliability of Scripture. We may doubt the existence of God. We may doubt the identity of who Jesus is. Even John the Baptist, whom Jesus called the greatest man who ever lived, even John the Baptist once expressed doubt about the identity of Christ. Is Jesus the one? Is this the one we've been waiting for? And you know, like them, you and I oftentimes have doubts as well. We have doubts about how much God can do and how much we can do or how little we're going to be able to do. You know, a few moments ago, you watched a video that kind of introduced the release initiative that's going to kind of be our financial focus for the next 18 months. And in the next few weeks, we're going to be sharing more information about that. We're going to be answering any and all questions that you might have about it. And at the end of that period, we're going to be inviting you to join us in laying out the future of Journey Church. And I got to be honest with you, this, our goals are ambitious. There's no doubt about it. They're ambitious and they include debt reduction and other more exciting opportunities. Debt reduction is not exciting, but you have to get past that before you can do a lot of other things, right? And so it's going to include that, but a lot of other things as well. And, and, and as we share more, it's going to be easy to doubt that we can do it. Very easy. Sometimes I find myself going, I don't know if we can do that or not. We're going to think about our own fears. We're going to think about our own reality. And Satan's going to sow doubt in our minds a million different ways. But remember that as frail human beings, we're going to fail by ourselves. Our doubt is reasonable if it's all dependent upon us. But with faith in God's unlimited power, we can do amazing things. Remember Philippians chapter 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need to remember that sometimes because we doubt what we can do because we know our own limits, right? As Christians, we oftentimes doubt and beat ourselves up about our doubt. 
But someone said that doubt is oftentimes the birth pangs of deepening faith. And really, if you think about it, it is, it is a, a part of the process of growing in our faith. Because we often don't grow until we begin to ponder something. And we think about the pros and cons of it. And then we think about where, where am I going to stand and what would God want me to do? And then our doubt helps us grow and take next steps. You know, sometimes we think, wow, if we just had more proof of God's power, then we would believe. If we could just see it, if it were more tangible, if it weren't just based on faith, if we had more proof. But let me remind you about the 12 disciples who actually were with Jesus and saw his power, and they experienced doubt as well. They were human like us. I mean, they, they struggled with doubt. Peter, who was one of the strongest disciples, ultimately became the leader of the group, Peter had the courage to step outside of a boat one time and actually walk on water, but before he got very far, his doubt overcame him and overcame his faith, and he began to sink. And when Jesus appeared to them after his resurrection, Matthew chapter 28 says this, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So here was Jesus back from the dead, proof and all, and many of them doubted. And this was right before he gave them the great commission. Can you imagine how Jesus felt? He had been through all of this. He had proven himself to them. And now he's about to leave the mission in their hands and they're still doubting. So before you beat yourself up too much about doubt and about worry and fears and everything like that, remember you're in good company, but it can be overcome. We may experience doubt, but we don't want to stay there. The disciples doubted. But you know what? Obviously, no one personifies doubt more than one particular disciple. And I bet you know who it is, right? His name is Thomas. And, and down through time, he's become the doubter of all ages, doubting Thomas. And the name we throw around whenever people may have doubt about certain things. So Thomas is a good, a good example for us and a good study as we think about overcoming our doubts today. Now, we don't know much about Thomas. In fact, as I was studying, Thomas is, is also called Didymus. Didymus. And the word Didymus and the word Thomas both actually mean twin. I didn't realize that. So it would be just like, hey, twin. You know, the guy didn't even really have a distinguished name. It was just a, his, uh, he was a twin of somebody. We have no idea who his twin was, uh, but, uh, but he was a twin. Some suggest he was a fisherman. There's no proof of that. But after Jesus had... Uh, had resurrected, a bunch of the disciples went fishing, and Thomas happened to go with them. But, uh, and Thomas isn't really mentioned a great deal throughout the Gospels. He's, you really only know him about his doubt, right? But, but whenever he is mentioned a few times, he's always pessimistic, he's always cynical, and he's always expecting the worst. I mean, think about it. Let me give you the, the, the few times that we're even told who, who Thomas was. In, in John chapter uh, 1, chapter 11, when Jesus was going to Bethany, after his friend Lazarus had died, and all the disciples knew that the opposition would be there and they'd be looking for Jesus. It may have been one reason that Jesus delayed his going and Lazarus actually died before he got there. But before they left, Thomas said to the others, let us also go that we might die with him. I mean, talk about a pessimist. It's not like God's gonna protect us. It's like, we're all gonna die. We're all gonna die. Let's just go with him, you know? On another occasion in John chapter 14, Jesus is telling the 12 that he's going to prepare a way for them, and they know the way to the place he is going. And I'm sure that all of them are going, we're, still, we're a little confused, a little fuzzy now, but who pops up? 
Thomas. Thomas pipes up and says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I'm sure all the others are going, oh, come on. Thomas, Thomas, come on, get with the program, right? But you know what? It set up one of the most incredible verses that Jesus ever spoke that we all know, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, all the cynicism and all the doubt that Thomas has had led him to be called the Eeyore of the Twelve. Don't you love that? You know, you got to love an Eeyore. Every, every party's got one, right? So he's the Eeyore of the Twelve. That's kind of his character is kind of who it was. And then to cap it all off is a story that really gives him his nickname, Doubting Thomas. You know, it seems like all these stories are basically in John. So I almost have the idea that John has always got his eye on Thomas. And he's always kind of like pointing out Thomas's struggle with doubt, right? Nobody else seems to mention it except John. But it's in John as well, chapter 20. And it was the same day of Jesus' resurrection. They had been on the roller coaster of, of this high moment uh, in, on Sunday of going into Jerusalem, uh, riding on the donkey, the people wanting to make Jesus king. And then throughout the weeks, he'd been up and down. But then later in the week, Jesus had been arrested. He had been tried. He had been crucified. Imagine what that was like. And now this was on Sunday, and they're beginning to realize that something incredible has happened. It was Jesus had been back to life, come back to life. The tomb was empty. Jesus was missing. His enemies were furious. The Romans were trying to scurry to find Jesus somewhere. They had, been, they had lost him, basically. They were trying to find him. The disciples were confused. They were together, though. And the Bible says, with the doors had been locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, all of a sudden, Jesus appeared to them. Same day of the resurrection, Easter, Easter Sunday. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands inside, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So imagine they thought he was dead. This was the first real proof they had that he was alive. And so they were overwhelmed. They were relieved. They, were, they celebrated. They parted. They high-fived and everything else. They had a great time, but the problem, not everybody was there. Thomas wasn't there. He didn't show up. And it goes on to say, now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Isn't it great, Thomas? Jesus is alive. We saw him. We touched him. You should have been here. You probably know his reaction. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Can you imagine? They're up here. Here's old Thomas, the doubter, party pooper, raining on their parade. I don't believe it. I just don't believe it's true. You know, we're not told why Thomas wasn't there. Some things may never be important, but I would love to know why he wasn't there. You know, maybe it be, was that he was disillusioned with following Jesus. Maybe he was just done. It was kind of his nature that he just was, you know, probably pessimistic and thought, well, it's all over and he's looking for something else. Or maybe there was some pressing issue, kind of interesting. It does show us the value of community though. Because when you're not there, you're going to miss something. And this day, he missed a lot. If he had been there, he would have known like everybody else. He wouldn't have, been, he wouldn't have had to doubt. And so he just says, I can't, I'm not going to believe. But you know what? Jesus cares about our doubt. He cared about Thomas's doubt. He cared enough to prove it to him. He could have written him off and say, Thomas, you know, that was a mistake. He'll never, he'll never fall in line with everybody else. He'll never come along. But he didn't do that. He cared about Thomas's doubt. And so it goes on to say a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. 
Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So fortunately, Thomas doesn't go down in history as always being a doubter. One segment of time, suddenly he's labeled, but he doesn't remain that way. In fact, his honest faith, uh, honest doubt, and then later faith led him to experience his greatest step of faith. And he proclaimed, my Lord and my God. So he understood who Jesus was and he was alive again, and then really saw Jesus for his real, real, real person, who he was. And then within a few weeks, he was transformed along with the rest of the other disciples into giants of the faith who turned the world upside down. See, Thomas's honest and searching doubt led to a faith that impacted the rest of his life. Thomas, like the other 12 disciples, went on to be a missionary. Now, reportedly, he, he ended up going uh, to a place called Parthenia, which is modern-day Iran. So if you're going to go to a tough spot to, to be a missionary, Iran's probably one of them. And then later on, he went to India, where he reportedly started seven churches, another tough place to be a missionary, right? You know, it's kind of interesting that uh, this past Monday night, we had a meeting uh, with a missionary, Jay Henry, who was a native of India and is currently a missionary there. And not knowing, having no idea that I was going to talk about today, that, that uh, Henry said, history tells us that the church was started in in India by Thomas. Just volunteered that information. I thought, well, that's kind of interesting that it fell in line. There's no coincidences with God. But obviously, Thomas went to two tough places and was a missionary. And history tells us that he was killed by Hindu priests for preaching the gospel. He was a martyr for the Lord. He obviously overcame his doubt, and he was a warrior for Christ. Now, what you may not realize about this is that Thomas also serves as a contrast for you and I today when it comes to doubt, because his encounter with Jesus establishes a basic teaching of the church, and that is the teaching of sola fide, or faith alone. Thomas is the one who began that, because in verse 29, Jesus said, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So guys, that's us today. We have not seen the risen Lord. We don't have the proof. We, like Thomas, have not been able to put our hands and feel the scars in Jesus' hands nor in his side. We don't have that proof. However, we believe. We believe that. And we have a greater blessing for that. Hebrews chapter 11 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It was assurance. Faith is the basis of our salvation. It really is. We can't prove all these things. There are evidences, obviously, but our relationship with Christ our salvation is based upon faith and the grace of God. Ephesians 2 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of itself, it's a gift of God. Thomas opened the door and laid the foundation for us today to believe without the proof, because he should have, but he didn't. You know, I think a lot of us can identify with Thomas. We really want to believe. We want to walk by faith, but there's something in us that resists that. 
It really is. It's our humanness, I guess. We are frail and weak human beings. We're full of doubt. We're full of insecurity, maybe about ourselves, maybe about our faith, about God. But when we give our lives to Christ, God has a way of coming into our life and saving us, erasing our doubt, and giving us His power with His Holy Spirit. And He grows our faith. He helps us overcome our doubt. And we begin to believe that God can literally do anything. The danger of that, however, is if we surrender to doubt rather than to faith. And that becomes our choice. See, believing that God can do anything is not faith against or without evidence. It's not faith against evidence. It's not faith without evidence. We have plenty of evidence of its existence and power. In fact, we have God's faithfulness in the past In our own life, our own experiences, we have a testimony of people all the time that we know what God can do. We have God's faithfulness in the past. We have the historical evidence of the apostles. We have secular historians. We talked about that several months ago. We have archaeology that backs up many of the biblical teachings. And we also have two things that Doubting Thomas did not have at all. Number one, we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. What was it that changed Thomas, because even after the resurrection, he was struggling. All of them were. But then suddenly on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, their lives were transformed. They became bold, confident, full of faith, ready to go take on the world, and they did. But it was the Holy Spirit who came and transformed them. We today have the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. So we have that huge power in our life. And secondly, we have the written New Testament. Thomas didn't have a record of all this. Today, we have God's Word. By the power of the Spirit, the power of the Word, we can overcome doubts, and we can be prepared to follow our Savior and Lord with no hesitation. And that's what God is calling for us in our lives. Now, what do you do if you want to move from doubt to faith? If you say, yeah, you know, it sounds great, really does, that's where I want to be, but I don't know how to get there because I have a lot of doubts. What do you do if that's where you are? Let me give you some really simple steps to get there. Number one, prayer. Prayer is where you start. The best thing we can do with our doubts, our fears, and our concerns is to take them to the Lord in prayer, just to be honest about it. You know, Jesus loved an honest skeptic. I don't think he was angry at Thomas for being doubtful. He was like, you know, lay it on me, I'll prove it to you. And he did, right? God is not afraid to hear about your doubts and fears. It's the best place to take them. God loves to hear from honest skeptics and seekers, and he wants to strengthen our faith. Kind of like the desperate man who brought his son to Jesus, the little boy who couldn't speak. And uh, he asked Jesus if he could do anything. And Jesus said, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. What a great prayer. No shame in that. Just say, God, I want to believe. I want to trust you more, but help me overcome my doubt and my unbelief. God is waiting and willing and longing to help us as we admit our doubt and ask him to help and overcome our unbelief. Secondly, get into God's Word, that resource I just spoke about a moment ago. Romans chapter 10 says, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word about Christ. Whenever you read the Bible, you learn more about the God of the impossible, and you learn not to limit God. The more we see God, the more we see Him doing, and the more we trust Him, 
The Bible's full of miracles and stories of people who did seemingly impossible things through the power of God. Miracles, everything's in God's Word. Unbelievable. John chapter 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than them, these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus said that. Can you imagine doing greater things than Jesus? Probably not, because our doubt limits us. But Jesus said, you can do greater things. Thirdly, the other resource I mentioned is seek the Spirit's help. Seek the Spirit's help. The promise of God's Holy Spirit in our lives is literally more than we can imagine. It really is. We can't fathom the power of God's Spirit in our life. We have the God of the universe living in us through His personal Holy Spirit. How in the world can we limit what God does or what God can do through us? We can't. But we oftentimes underestimate and underseek the, the Holy Spirit of God. But as we seek the Spirit's leading and power and encouragement and direction in our life, we know that God is calling us to, do, to step out in faith. And when we do that, we can truly grasp what Jesus meant when he said, everything is possible for the one who believes. And those are the words that we learn through God's Holy Spirit. The last step is to take action. Because faith doesn't really matter unless we do something about it, right? In James chapter 1, it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. There comes a point when you got to step out, take a step of faith, overcome your doubt, deal with it, and then take action in that. You have to act, exercise your faith in order to be rewarded. And that means taking a risk. It means being willing to try something so big that if God isn't in it and behind it and with you, you're going to fail in it. And rarely do any of us ever do that, to be honest with you. We are so limited by our own minds and our own fear and our own doubt that rarely do we ever take a step of faith that truly gives God a chance to teach us and show us something and grow our faith. So let me just throw a couple things out, first of all. If you're here and you're a doubter, and you know things about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus, and you've questioned all these things, maybe it's time to say, okay, I want to be honest with God and be honest with yourself, be an honest skeptic, and seek God in prayer. And I'm going to get into God's Word, and I'm going to read about what He says and what He did and what it means for me and how I can take my next step. And I'm going to ask God, you know that God's Holy Spirit works even in the lives of unbelievers, in leading them to come to him, to bring us under conviction of his word and his truth. Many people are influenced by God's word, not just by God's people, but by God's Holy Spirit and his word to take their step, first step of faith. And then having been led by his spirit and his word and prayer, take action. Step into your, maybe your first step on your journey to follow Jesus from doubt to faith. And if you're struggling with that decision, I would love to talk to you about it. Anytime, just give me a shout. Step up here in a few moments. I'm going to be up in the front. I would love to talk to you about that because it will take you from being outside of a relationship with God into a relationship with Him. It will take you from being in a lost state into a state of salvation and hope for eternity. It's the greatest step that you'll ever take. So I'd love to help you move from doubter to believer, even if we have to work through some of your doubts and, and, and questions and struggles there. But for the rest of us in our church family, in a few weeks, we're going to ask everyone who calls this place home to make a commitment 
of some sort to the future of our church. Nobody's going to be forced to do that. Nobody's going to be pressured. But I want to challenge everyone. All of us need to be challenged at some time. And there will be an opportunity for us to stretch and grow our faith. And it'll be a financial commitment. Making a financial commitment is a great way to do that. If you know that you are not showing faith in your giving, maybe some of us are, and you're, you're trusting God for every dollar that you give him, I'm going to ask you to take the steps I just shared. I'm going to ask you right now to start praying about what God might want you to commit. I'm going to ask you to get into God's word and see the mighty things that he has done and will do and get a glimpse of his glory. And I want to encourage you to seek the Holy Spirit's leading and ask God to challenge you and stretch you. And then I want to encourage you to take action. And that's tough for all of us to kind of get out of the boat, if you will. Sometimes we just need to have a little faith to get out of the boat and see what God can do in our lives beyond what we know we can do ourselves. So that's my challenge to you. We're going to release these things. Each week, we're going to talk a little bit about some element of life that is burdening us. That, that's a challenge. Doubt is a burden. And we're going to talk about how God can lift that burden from us and give us freedom in that. So I hope that you'll hang in here with us. Uh, we're going to talk about fear. We're going to talk about guilt. We're going to talk about our tendency to be a spectator on things, just sit back and watch, and how that God will take those things away from us and see how he's done it through his word and through his people. So this morning, I'm glad you're here, and I hope that you will begin praying about the things in God's, in your life that God needs to lift off of you. And, uh, and if you want to share some of those things with me and how God has done that or is doing it, that, that would be even better, and we'd love to have that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your word. And God, thank you for doubting Thomas, a guy that all of us kind of talk about with a, um, a strange thought. But God, we have some respect for him because he was honest enough to say what he was thinking. And Lord, a lot of us struggle with doubt. Help us to be honest, to acknowledge that, and to give it to you, Lord, and ask you to take it away. Father, I pray that you will release us from the doubt, the fears that we carry around with us. And God, you'll give us a, a new freedom and hope that we can have. And Lord, I pray for the future of our church. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.